Well, I feel like uh, I'm like anticlimactic right now, so uh, I will do my best at keeping your attention, but once again, thank you if you're a friend, family, guest, thanks for coming, supporting the kids and hearing them tell their version of the Messiah coming, Jesus Christ. Well, let me pray before, just so I can get my bearings all, proud dad moment, get everything together. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. Uh, again, for children, and how they are a gift. And Lord, even in their little ways of sharing, uh, go tell it on the mountain, uh, silent night, all these stories, God, they are reminders for us as adults, those who are more mature, that there is something beautiful and power about this story. So God, keep our eyes fixed on you. The author the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. So God, move in us during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you grab a Bible? There should be a Bible near you, or if you have your own Bible, and turn to uh, the Gospel of John. We are in uh, a series, page 896. We are in a series, an Advent series, called He Came. He came. And we're, we're looking at what is the reason that Jesus came. You know, in this holiday season, it is very easy for us to say, Jesus came so that we can have our family get-togethers, so that we can spend a good deal. You know, they said $450 billion in the United States just on presents. $450 billion. You wonder why we got debt issues? $450 billion. So did Jesus come so that we could have a family get-together? Did Jesus come so we could spend $450 billion here in the States on Christmas gifts? Did he come so that we could have gluttony? Because, you know, right now my jeans are feeling a little bit tighter already, and it's not even Christmas. Why did Jesus come? So we've been looking at what is the reason that he came. And looking at the statements that Jesus said, the authors of the Scripture said that he came. We looked in week one that Jesus said in Luke chapter four that he came to set free the captives. He said, the year of the Lord, I've come to proclaim this good news of the year of the Lord. I've come to set free the captives. I've come to bring sight to the blind. I've come to set free the captives. And that's not just a, an issue of political freedom. That is an issue of spiritual freedom. Jesus came for you, for me, to set us free from whatever ties us down, whatever holds us back from true life. And then in our second week, we looked at Jesus came to destroy the devil. When we think of Christmas, we don't often think of destruction. We think of joy to the world. We think of holly berries. We think of all these great big things. But when Jesus came, one of the major purposes was to destroy the work of the devil. And for us as believers, that should bring us great joy that the one who is captivated us his work is now destroyed week three brandon talked about jesus came to serve to serve the helpless and it's not just the people in the streets of chicago that we think oh man those people are are helpless we are helpless in our spiritual state apart from christ we are helpless people in dire need of a savior and he came to serve us this week, we are looking at how Jesus came to bring us life. 
So looking at John chapter 10, we are going to be looking at just a few verses. John chapter 10, starting at verse 7 through verse 10. And Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus came for a purpose. And here, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I came that you may have life. But if we read just a little bit before that, he said, but there's somebody else that you need to know about. The thief, singular, somebody came so that there is destruction. They can steal. He can steal, kill, and destroy. There's this idea that somebody else, there's these opposing forces that are out there that are vying for our mind, our lives, our attention. One comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. The other comes for the sake of life, and life abundantly. It's important that we understand, as believers in Jesus Christ, that there is a battle that is going on. A battle that's going on for our affections, for our love, our desires, our time, all the things that make up us as, as a person. There is somebody out there that is out to kill our affections, steal our love, and destroy a relationship. As believers in Christ, we know that that person is Satan. And that Jesus came for the purpose to destroy the works of Satan. And for us, that is great joy. It brings us just oh, relief that Jesus came for the purpose to destroy the works of the devil. But if we look in here, this person, in, in uh, verse 10, it says, that the thief comes. And in the original language, it's this idea that he, he didn't just come at one time. He is still coming today. He is still coming, as you woke up this morning, to steal your time, to steal your affections, to steal all these things that should bring you joy and hope and life every day. The devil, Satan, is coming to steal. Every moment, he is waiting, lying for that perfect opportunity to come and steal and kill and destroy. We look at the life of the average American marriage in the United States. The average American marriage in the United States is about the same, has the same shelf life as that of those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. About the same statistic. When it comes to divorce, Satan is going, score. I have come to steal 
kill and destroy. To take away the hope. To take away the patience. I've come to take away all these things. The joy of marriage. I've come to take away the intimacy. I've come to take away the privacy. All those things that come with marriage. I've come to take those things away. And for some reason, we as Christians believe that we're immune to all those things. That will never happen to me. But Satan is just going, you are suckers for believing that. You truly believe? Ah, I'm still coming to take that away from you. I'm still coming. I'm the one who's doing this. They say, in this holiday season even, that depression reaches an all-time high. They also say that suicide during this season reaches an all-time high. And the statistics are about the same between a believer and an unbeliever. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But, here's, here's the deal, that is not the end of the story. Jesus comes in verse 10, the second half of it, he says, but I came, it's a definite statement, I came for this purpose. I came once, and today I'm still coming, I came so that you may have life. And I've come, so not only you can have life, but life abundantly. I've come for the purpose of life. The thief came for the purpose of destruction, of depression, to kill, to steal, to destroy. But I came so that you can have life. In this season, in this life, in your workplace, I came so that you can have life, and life abundantly. So what is this life that Jesus is talking about? If you still have your Bibles open, I want you to turn to your right just a little bit. And Jesus says, listen, in in verses uh, chapter 17... John 17, 1 through 3. This is about the only place where you get a clear definition of what Jesus says is life. This is is what it looks like. This is what it means. In John chapter 17, it says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Jesus is at the point where he's almost ready to go to the cross, he's having this, what's called the high priestly prayer, where he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. The time has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him, all, him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Life, same word. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus came to give life. Eternal life. He came to give the the precious gift of life. And here in John chapter 17, it it talks about knowing him. It says, and this is eternal life, that they know you. Now, 
having been a school teacher, I understand that there's different levels of knowledge and how you take in information. The very basic level is factual knowledge. You tell a kid, memorize these facts, and what do they do? They memorize the facts. You give them the test, they will memorize the test and spit out all the answers. This is not what that's talking about. This is not just saying, okay, I know who Jesus is. I've gone through catechism. I've gone through confirmation. I've gone through all my religious education. I've gone through all these things. I've read the Bible. I know the facts of Jesus. This is far more deeper than just knowing factually about Jesus. This is far more about just knowing, okay, he was born to a Virgin Mary. Uh, He suffered under Pontius Pilate. You know, knowing all those facts, it's far more than just knowing that. If you look in the Greek, the Greek base word is gnosko. Gnosko, throw that up for me. The definition is to learn to know, to come to know, to get a knowledge of, of perceived feel, to become known. But move on to three. In the Jewish culture, to know somebody, it's a Jewish idiom of a relationship that is deep and personal, that is intimate. And Jesus said, the relationship I want you to have between a believer and God the Father and Jesus Christ whom you sent is a deep, personal, intimate, growing relationship to the point I'm going to the point I'm going to use a word that kind of refers to sexual intimacy I want you to have this kind of relationship that is just absolutely personal and deep so it goes beyond I know these facts about Jesus Christ to oh I know him in a deep, personal, and intimate way. Can you describe your relationship with Christ? With Jesus Christ as one that is deeply personal and moving? Or is yours one of, I know the facts, the historical facts of Jesus Christ. I know everything that I have been taught. Or does it go to that deeper, more personal level where it changes everything? Because also this this Greek word, gnosko, in the the tense that it is used, is talking about that it is an ongoing process. It's not just, I know one time I made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but you know what it is? It is far deeper than that. It is not just a one-time acknowledgement. It is an ongoing process of knowing today and tomorrow knowing more and the day after that knowing more and more and more deeply. That is what it is to know the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. To have a relationship and to have eternal life. Eternal life is the now from this moment on to forever. We don't wait until we die to say, oh, Jesus, this is sweet. We start today and just say, oh, 
I want to have a growing, knowing knowledge of you, Jesus. I want to grow in a deeper relationship of you in all my life, in every aspect of my life. I want to live fully today and know you more. But Jesus doesn't just say, I want you to have life. He adds this tag on that is a qualifier. I've come so that you may have life. And I think me growing up in the church, I got that. There was a point where at the age of uh, 19, I, it, all the bells and whistles clicked, and I go, ah, I understand everything that my parents and my school and all the catechism and all the teachings taught me about, oh, I get it. And it's at that point where I, I profess my faith in Jesus Christ and said, ah, you are the Lord and Savior of my life. And I want to reap the benefits of being a child. But Jesus said, that's, that's good. But I want you to have it abundantly. Abundantly. Here, here's my conviction. My conviction is this. Throw, throw that slide up there. It's... Uh, there are believers who exist, but do not really live. There are those of us who get, oh, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to trust him. But we don't have that life that is abundant, that is just rich and overflowing, that informs absolutely everything that Jesus Jesus said this, and I said, oh, I received that. I'm growing to understand you. And this has so transformed the way that I live that it's overflowing into other people's lives. It's transforming the way that I think about this. It's transforming the way I think about this. And it's, it's not something that I keep, but it overflows. It's abundant of just deep growth. Absolutely beautiful. And that word, abundant, I've come to give you life abundantly. Is, it's almost this picture of a cup. You know, we got those people in our lives that are, you know, is a cup half full or half empty? Jesus says, no, 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 no. The Christian life is not even just half full or half empty. And it's not even just up to the brim. The life of a Christian, one who is truly in Christ, who loves Christ and is growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, is one where the cup is overflowing. Do you get that? Where the, your life in Christ is just overflowing? And overflowing, sometimes in our obsessive, compulsive, anal retentive world, overflowing is messy. I think about my kids watching my little boy Bubba fill an orange juice cup, scares the living daylights out of me. And as a parent, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's enough, that's enough. And what does he do? All over. And that's the picture that Jesus is giving us, that life in him is overflowing. And it just goes all over the place. It impacts the way that you relate to your parents, your grandparents. It affects the way that you relate then to your, your boss or your employees or your cohorts. 
It affects then the way that you, you look at your finances. It looks at the way that you look at retirement. It, it affects the way that you look at the way that you attend church or don't attend church. It, my life in Christ, I can't get enough, and I enjoy this, this bubbling over so much. It is rich. It is beautiful, and I can't get enough. I keep going back to the well for more. C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, has this quote that I, I just love. He says that when talking about this very section of Scripture, he says this, Life is a matter of degrees. Some have life, but it flickers like a dying candle and is indistinct as the fire in the smoking flax. I don't know what the smoking flax is, but I got this image of just barely holding on others are full of life and are bright and vehement look at this like the fire upon the blacksmith's forge when the bellows are in full blast christ has come that his people may have life in all of its fullness i love that 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 picture of the, the Christian life is to be like when the blacksmith is using the bellows and just pumping the coals with, with air, oxygen. And what happens? It just gets brighter and hotter and brighter and hotter to the point that what happens? The hard metal softens and melts. Our Christian life if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, huh, our life is to be a city on a hill that cannot be put out. Do you get that image? From a distance in a dark, dark world, there is a city that is offering light and hope because there is something bright that is up there. That is the life of a believer who has life abundant. Their life is being the bellows of Christ is blowing into their life so it is bright and vibrant and beautiful and powerful. It gives heat to those who are cold and lost. It gives light and direction to those who don't know where they're going. That's, that is the call. That is the life of one who understands this. I've come to give you life. But not just life. Abundant overflowing, rich, beautiful life. That, that is life. The reality, how many of us really have that life? I can get up here and get all worked up. I can even get armpit stains telling you this good news. The reality of, is that my life? Is that your life? Even if you have a, a close walk with Christ, can you just say that there is just something rich and bright and oh, vehement and just powerful? Most of us, we're going to walk out here and go eat and just forget about this whole sermon. I know the facts. The reality. It's true. But how do, So how do we move to a point where this is true and this is personal? Now, I want to come to know Christ in a deep, personal way. So my life is abundant. I think there's two things. 
And it's got to be done in this order. There has first got to be a turning from. We're all heading in a direction. Your personal life is heading, heading in a direction. It's either to Christ or away from. There's no middle road. You're either heading towards Christ with your life or you're heading away from him. You're either worshiping him with all of your life or you're worshiping the things that he has created and given you. And that can include your children, that can include your job, that can include your fame, if there's anybody famous here. Whatever he has given you, you're worshiping those things and enjoying those things oh, so much more than the one who created them. The life of a Christian is one of repentance. The Greek word is metanoia, where you're, you're facing one direction and you are repenting and doing what? Turning. You are doing a 180. You are doing, turning the other direction. And you are saying these things no longer taste even good. Because I know that Christ is so much richer. He is the best food, the best fare that there could ever be. I want Christ and all of his blessings. And so I acknowledge this world and all it has to offer pales, pales in comparison to Jesus Christ and him crucified and the life that I receive from that. I want Christ. These are the blessings that he gives. He gives me work. He gives me marriage. He gives me sex. He gives me money. He gives me all these things. And they're good. These are gifts from God. But my focus, the second thing is, as we repent, as we confess, as we say, Lord, those, those are nothing in comparison to you, we turn. And we turn to. We turn from the world and we, we, we repent. We turn to Christ. Lord, here I am. Throughout the Gospels, all the Gospels, there's this picture that Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. Follow me. Your wants, your needs, your desires are secondary, maybe even tertiary compared to the needs of the kingdom. And they pale all in comparison to the price that was paid. Follow me. C.S. Lewis, in one of his uh, more famous books called The Weight of Glory, if you have not read it, I'd C.S. Lewis is never a light read. When we think of C.S. Lewis, we think of Chronicles of Narnia, you know, all that whole series. He is, he's far more prolific than just Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote a book called The Weight of Glory, and it is a great story. And this is a, um, a quote that came from that, um, that book. It said this. He says... 
it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Turning to Christ, saying, Lord, here I am. All of me. Not just my religious life, but all of me. The totality of me. Lord, all of me is yours. Moves us from children who like making mud pies in the slum and thinking that that's really a blast when they can't even imagine what Christ has in store. A holiday at the sea. When thinking about how, how do I close this? Because this, this is Christmas, right? Some of you feel like you've been bonked up on side the head. Here's how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to end it with one of my favorite dead guys again. And this is how he ended his sermon. So I'm, this is not plagiarism, right? I'm telling you, I'm borrowing. Spurgeon said this. My time is gone. The subject is too large for me. Only this I conclude with. If you need life, you must get it from Christ. If you need more life, you must go to the same place. Do not look to Christ for the beginnings and then look somewhere else for the ending. Christ has come that you might have more life. Come to him by faith. Do not look to ceremonies or outward services or anything else for growth in grace. Apart from Jesus, but fly to him. And he will give it to you. And you shall be rich to all intents.